Perry, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. This has been one that I've really looked forward to. There's a good connection in history between yourself and High Five and the work that we do and excited also about talking about the work that you're currently involved in. Well, thanks for having me. This has been something I've been looking forward to as well, Phil. So happy to be here. Yeah. So my name is Perry Cohen. My pronouns are he and him. And I'm the founder and executive director of the Venture Out Project. And we lead outdoor adventures for queer and trans folks, backpacking, canoeing, skiing, paddling, all kinds of cool stuff. And my relationship with High Five began back when I worked at CNS in Keene, New Hampshire. I was running the kind of leadership development, talent management, and we were putting together one of those onboarding weeks. And I did what every HR exec does at that point, said, oh, we need some team building activities. And I had heard of this group High Five, and I was like, oh, they can come do an hour. And at that point in my life, I thought an hour was plenty and fine, and you know they'd be happy to have the business. And I remember talking to Jim Grout and getting to know him a little bit over the course of planning this. And I looked at Devaney, who worked with me at CNS then and now works with me at Venture Out. And I said, I think these guys can do a lot more than we originally thought they could do. And so we went back to Jim and said, hey, do you think that maybe you would like to plan like a day or two of this? And in classic Jim sense, he said, oh, I'm so, I'm so glad you asked. Absolutely. And so we got to collaborate on building this leadership development program. And basically, I fell in love with everyone I met at High Five and the work that was being done at High Five and thought, what an amazing place. And I think that was when I was starting to realize that the work that High Five does had application across like every population, every community, everyone in the world. And I just kind of drank the Kool-Aid and was like, how do I get on board? And how do I, how do I spend more time with these incredible folks? Because every day I spend with High Five is like the best day. So that was the genesis. And then the relationship, yeah, has just blossomed from there. When you reflected on that, you mentioned that there was, there was an awareness from you that we could do more than a day. High Five can do more than a day. And I don't bring it even to the point of High Five, but I think adventure education in general, I think that feels like it can do more than a day. What for you defined that? What what was that point for you that said, I think they can do more? What was the more? Well, I, I mean, I went into it really thinking like, oh, they're going to help people. They're going to make people feel uncomfortable. And in so doing, will help people feel more comfortable together. And that was pretty much as deep as I got on that. And then when I started to talk with Jim more, it was like, that is so superficial, what I thought adventure education was. And actually, this goes to so much greater depths and could help not just teams, but like people function better together. And I, so I think my aha moment was that how could we possibly expect to get anything of substance in an, you know, with 20 people in an hour? Because I think what I realized was that this was about like all, all the stuff that Brene Brown is selling all the books about. It was about getting to your vulnerability, getting to this sense of belonging, getting to where people feel like they can understand and kind of resonate with each other. And I think I realized that that adventure education was a means to getting to those deeper connections. I actually remember I was I was fortunate as I came into High Five to be a part of some of those leadership programs, and. 
It was an interesting concept, really. It was like a new hire concept. We would come in and we would, there were, it was almost like we were part of the interview process as well with new hires coming in. But absolutely, we were not able to get to a certain level of depth. There was obviously at some point a transition period between working with the staff at CNS and then the working with the students in the keen area in the schools. No doubt you were probably a part of that. What was the discussion around that? And what was maybe the genesis of that kind of relationship, going from the, the work with your employees to the working with the community at, at large? Well, I think that's part of the magic of the folks at High Five was seeing the big picture. And so I think what was presented to me and what just made so much sense was this is about helping people connect and obviously empowering them to lead. And that can and should happen at any age. And sort of that that underlying theme works across all people, all identities, all populations, but it has to be delivered in an age-appropriate manner. So what's going to work with an executive or what's going to work with a professional sports team isn't going to work in a fifth grade classroom. But I think what I started to see was how cool would it be if these parents who are working at CNS are learning the same things and having the same developmental experiences their kids are having in the Keene public schools. And that to me was like, how amazing to have people come home and have a conversation at the dinner table that they probably never thought they could have and, and kind of grow together and share that as a, as a family. That was like mind blowing to me. I agree. There have been so many cases where we've had entire families come to high five and like the, the, the parent will come, maybe they're a teacher in the school district and then they'll say, oh, yeah, my kids came through the program or a kid will come through and say, my parents went through the program or they worked at CNS. And that is a very unique experience. I, I think think back to all the kinds of work that I've done here at High Five. I've, that's a rarity to have that kind of truly holistic programming between not only different you know, departments at an organization, but like families and generations of families. There has to be, though, and I, I want to give credit, like not only to the to the high fives awareness, but also your awareness and the CNS's awareness that that was essential because we could propose that to other places and they wouldn't see the value. What did you see as the value point? What was from your perspective, the the why behind doing that? We can propose that, but you have to accept that what we're saying is true. What was from your perspective, the why? I'll tell you a story and hopefully this explains the why. So there was a long time CNS employee. I mean, she'd been there 20 years or more. And she had, a at that point, a fifth grader who was uh, on the spectrum and had like a full-time aide. So school, school was really hard for him and social stuff was really, really hard for him. And she came to my office one day and she said, Perry, I, I have to tell you about this experience that my child had. He was at High Five up on the ropes course. And I don't remember which element he was on, but it was one of the high ones. And she said, he had everybody cheering for him. and." Everybody was like looking at him and watching him and supporting him and literally holding his rope. And she said, he, he basically burst into tears and he said, mom, I didn't even know people knew my name. And then these really cool kids at school are there supporting me and, you know, wanting me to be successful and feeling like part of my journey. And she, she was in tears as she was telling me this. And I was like, I, I can't think of a better way to actually embody this like connection than to be able to have a parent feel what her child is feeling at school and knowing that the company that she works for is supporting this and that like this whole thing is kind of coming full circle. So to me, it was like the instances like that, that just made it so clear that this, this is good for everybody. And we thought of it from a business perspective. It was like, 
we were lacking leaders. And this whole thing came about because we were trying to develop better leaders. And I, I remember a lot of these conversations of like, well, if we teach kids what it means to be a leader starting in elementary school, isn't that just going to make for a better workforce? Um, and not that that was the purpose of it, but it's a really excellent byproduct to say we're investing in a system and in a, in a project and a program that's going to help these kids grow up to be the kind of people who can have a lot of influence and, and hopefully be leaders in a business sense to make it su a successful business, but also like a place that we want to have in the community that's got good morals, good ethics, that takes care of its community. And I think that was what I saw was this is a chance to to really grow people from the ground up and help them realize who they who they are and who they want to be and, and give them the support and the guidance to do that. I remember probably the first interaction that you and I maybe had was you coming and leading a program with Meg Bolger, uh, another wonderful facilitator on uh, Beyond Bathrooms, and you and you led it for our staff. And I think about probably I I seem to remember having a conversation with you, and at the time we always experience I experienced this, this sense of imposter syndrome when it comes to being an educator or a facilitator, As, especially I would say standing next to someone like Meg, who's an incredible facilitator. How do you feel like the experience of being connected through High Five and being connected through Adventure Aid has allowed you to grow as an educator and facilitator? And, and I put it out to you to say that's what you are now, even in the work you do at Adventure Out. You're an educator and a facilitator of inclusive programming. How would you align the work of Adventure Education into the current work you do now and you as a facilitator? Oh, gosh. Well, the, the concept of imposter syndrome feels very real to me. Yeah, I was terrified to facilitate with High Five. You're facilitating a group of professional facilitators, like the stakes are high. But I think what made it feel doable to me was that it was coming from this place of authenticity and like really caring about something and really wanting to see other people learn that for themselves. And I think to me, that's what I think about. I think about adventure education in particular as experiential education. And I think I view my role I used to view myself as a teacher. I was a teacher. And actually, Meg Bulger has helped me think about this a lot as like, no, 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 I'm not, I don't want to be didactic. I want to provide the space and the capsule and the opportunity for people to teach themselves. And I think that that's how I think of myself as an educator or a facilitator now. And I think I learned a lot of that through High Five, through asking questions. And, you know, I remember when we first started Edge of Leadership, watching Ryan and Anne Louise and like, I was like, how does Ryan come up with these questions? Like he has the perfect question for the situation that I don't even know how he, how he did this. And I think, I certainly think it's a learned skill, but I think it's also becomes kind of your, your own style and this thing that you figure out what works for you. And I think that I think about my role as a facilitator and everything I do now, whether it's leading a backpacking trip, leading a workshop, or even in a staff meeting, it's like, I don't want my ideas to be the only ideas I want to I want to make create a space where people get to share ideas and, and they get to be the teachers too. What specific things have you seen that you've probably, for you, you feel like you've grown in? What areas of facilitation do you think you've grown in? And maybe where is this still areas that you were hoping to improve in when it comes to facilitating? I think the one that I've grown in is realizing that less is more, particularly when I'm leading a workshop beyond bathrooms. And for those who don't know, this is about like gender education and trans and LGBTQ topics. And I think what I've learned is when you're facilitating a social justice topic and people are already feeling 
scared or like this is new information or like they're going to get in trouble. Answer the question. Don't go into a super long, give the 101 answer, not the 301 answer, because they there's a certain amount of information that people can handle. And after that, they, they get lost. And so I feel like once I really figured that out, um, my facilitation got a lot better because I was meeting people where they were versus where I wanted them to be. The thing I think about a lot is that I definitely facilitate in a style that works for me as a learner. And I think I am still working on figuring out how do I facilitate for folks who learn differently than I do or uh, who don't, who maybe want more information given to them or want more things written down or want uh, more of a plan versus mine is very fluid, kind of moving in the moment with what is happening. And that works for some people. And so how do I develop my facilitation style so it works for people with multiple uh, learning modalities? It's very aligned with my current goal. I was interviewing someone called Romy Alexander. I recommend listeners to go back if you haven't listened to those episodes on creating a psychologically safe learning environment. And one of the things that she's mentioned that I keep coming back to is mining the opposite experience. How do we as facilitators like actively do that? Not assume that it might be there, that people might like it, not like what I'm projecting into the world, but like, how do I actually ask what people don't like and actually mine it so that I can learn and grow. I tend to find that a lot of facilitation w was developed by extroverts for an extroverted audience. A lot of the games feel that way. And I myself am, am an introvert and I'm actually reading a book, uh, Quiet by Susan Cain at the moment, which is all about introversion. And, and it's open in my space to like, yeah, how do I actually create learning environments that are centered not around the way that I learn, but how does it open up to other people? I also want to highlight something you mentioned as well about the authenticity of the facilitation process. You mentioned Ryan. I 100% agree. If anyone seen Ryan McCormick facilitate, he is wonderful at mining questions and asking the right questions. And I used to think that too. And I've looked at other people like Jim Grout, who's a great storyteller. And he's like, how do I get, how do I tell more stories? There's a vulnerability part of realizing how I facilitate. I started to talk about my anxiety more when I facilitate. I think me opening myself up to my style or me talking about me is really helpful. Last thing I'll, I'll mention around like the, maybe the connection between High Five, you already mentioned one uh, standout story for you. What's a story or a situation or scenario that for you is highlights the power of adventure education? I mean, I, I feel like it's actually what we do every day at Venture Out. And it's watching these groups of people come together. And typically the only thing they have in common is that they're queer identified, but they may be from all over the country and different ages. And sometimes I'll watch a group come together and be like, Oh gosh, I don't, I don't know how we're going to do four days in the woods together. And then, you know, people say, Oh my gosh, it feels like the trip facilitates itself. And I think in some ways it does, but also it's because of the way we designed it, that, you know, all the activities flow and it, it's kind of becomes a little bit invisible, the work that goes into making it feel like it facilitates itself. But I think those experiences of watching a group come together, a group share deeply intimate parts of themselves or cry or connect or become lifelong friends after spending four days in the woods together. I, I think to me, those are the, that's the goal for me in adventure education is helping these people connect with each other in a way that I don't, I think we've like, we had started to lose the ability to do before the pandemic and really lost a lot of our skills in that area during the pandemic. And I think these 
moments of adventure education and experience together help bring that back that connection and kind of reteach us how to or remind us of what we already knew but force us to practice it so i started venture out in 2014 which coincided with when i came out as trans um i was working at cns at the time corporate hr and i was kind of trying to figure out my own identity and one day things were just really hard and so i did what i always did which was to go climb a mountain so i i hiked up mount monadnock and i got to the top of monadnock and i thought like wow you know this is incredible and and i am only here because of this body um and this body that sometimes has felt alien to me or foreign or like wasn't what i wanted but in this moment i am so grateful for it because it it got me up here and i thought that's that's what I should be doing. I should be helping other queer and trans people who maybe weren't as fortunate as I was to grow up with tremendous access to the outdoors and tremendous comfort level being in the outdoors. So I walked down the mountain and thought, okay, I'm going to go find a job at like Queer Outward Bound or Queer Knowles or something must exist. And I just kept Googling and nothing came up and nothing came up. And finally I was like, wow, um, I guess my choice is either not to do this or or I have to start it. So luckily, I had no idea what it took to start a nonprofit, or I'm not sure that I would have done it in the first place. But I was like, I want to I want to go outside with other queer and trans people. I want to find friends to hike with. Uh, and at first, I actually thought we would lead backpacking trips for youth, queer youth, because when you're a nonprofit, that's where the money is. And the more friends I told who were adults, the more people said, "Oh my gosh, what I would do for this, I." used to be an Eagle Scout, but since I transitioned, it wasn't it wasn't safe to go outside or I felt like it was too masculine or I never got to do this growing up and it's really hard to learn as an adult. So we started by leading two backpacking trips and they, they both filled up immediately and it was like, oh, there's a real need for this. And a lot of times people ask me like, well, why do you have to have kind of affinity-based trips? What's the What's the value? And I think with something like backpacking or outdoor adventure skills, it can be really intimidating for people. And if you, on top of being scared of bears or sleeping outside for the first time or physical exertion, if you're also afraid for your safety because of your identity, it's like this goal of pushing ourselves towards the edge of our comfort zone. You're already there if you're scared about your identity. And so if we can take away that piece of fear and kind of create a level playing ground so that people are comfortable being who they are. And then we can teach them, here's how you backpack, here's how you camp, here's how you backcountry ski, um, here's how you start a fire, here's how you hang a bear bag, here's how you cook in the woods. Th then we can achieve kind of that goal of, of learning new skills and building new community. And so that's really what Venture Out does. We bring people outside in all different kinds of ways. We try to teach them skills so that they can go do this on their own. And then we also try to try to build community through being outside together. And then the other piece we do, what you mentioned a little earlier, Phil, was we do facilitation workshops and gender education. I wonder when it comes to creating a sense of community, and a sense of maybe uh, belonging and inclusivity. And, and you mentioned 
Safety. I, I consider, I think sometimes when we think of adventure, anything adventurous, we often lean towards physical safety. For us, we, one of our key things that we often talk about is the emotional safety that comes. But there's also that social safety. How does Venture Out facilitate that sense of belonging? Yeah, I mean, that starts from the moment people register, you know, even on what our forms are like, what names you can use, of what kind of health insurance information we're asking for. All of our meals are gluten-free and vegan-friendly. And like, so all those little things that people might look at and be like, oh, I'm not welcome here. We've tried to address as many of them as we could. I mean, we have sliding scale pricing. We have backpacks and gear that fit people of all sizes. We actually have specific plus size backpacks and sleeping bags. And so people who may have felt for so long, like, yeah, I'm queer and I'm not welcome outside. And then there's not even gear that fits me. So how could I possibly be welcome outside? So we start with that. And then every person who comes on has an interview with one of our staff um, where they get to talk about their fears and their anxieties and what's going on for them. And then that translates into the first, you know, the first night when we meet everybody and we do a lot of, we stopped calling them icebreakers because everyone feels so, I feel so anxious. Someone's like, there's an icebreaker. I'm like, oh God, this is going to be horrible. And so we, we try to do games or like welcoming activities and things like that. But we actually address that. We say, you know, the number one reason that people don't come on a venture out trip is because they're really nervous about if they're going to fit in, if they're going to belong, what this space is going to feel like. And so we start with kind of like naming the uncomfortable moment. And I think that helps a ton for people to realize they're not the only one who's feeling anxious or socially awkward or afraid that they won't make friends. Um, and I think once you put that out there, that kind of, okay, people can kind of breathe a little bit easier. And and the other thing is that's the main job of our instructors. Of course, it's to keep people physically safe and keep them, you know, teach them some skills, but mostly it's to say like, facilitate this group, you know, make sure that that no one is completely left out or that, you know, people feel like they have a place here. Uh, up until this year, actually, we every instructor had to have come on a trip. And we still try to do that because I think remembering what it feels like to be that new person and ha- creating that empathy in someone is such a valuable skill. And when you can say to a participant, hey, hey, I've been in your shoes. I was a, I was a new participant too. I think it really, really helps. I, I would say the bulk of our training and our onboarding is really about what is the venture outweigh and how can you authentically in your own voice kind of carry forth our mission and and the way that we do things. So, you know, it's never about being competitive. It's never about like crushing miles or like peak bagging or anything about that. It's about like, how do we get up here together safely? And what happens if we, if we don't get to the top, how do we, how do we do that together too? We have every member of our staff interview every new person uh, because I think making sure that that person fits and really understands and wants to do things the way we've done things is the most important. I think teaching the technical skills is the easy part. Teaching the soft skills and getting someone to believe in the culture, that's really hard to teach. So kind of it's got to be like it's there or it's not. I actually recently wrote an article for the Adventure Park Insider on career pathways, mapping career paths. And I think that one of the things that when I've been interviewing people, that feels like a limiting factor is access, right? Like how do we truly make this adventure field? How do we make the outdoor field feel like it's something that anyone can come and be a part of? How do you, as an employer, help create career pathways for the LGBT trans community? How do you make this more accessible? Yeah, that's been huge for us. 
and because I always wanted to not just, you know, so important that our instructors are queer and that they, you know, mirror the identities of the people coming on the trip. So our staff is, I, you know, 95% queer. And so we've, we've tried to create career pathways and saying, here's all these ways you can enter. You can come in as a volunteer, which means that you have to have fewer tech. I mean, you have to be safe, but fewer technical skills. An instructor has to have more technical skills. But then within our full-time staff, I mean, we've got a social media person, we've got a communications person, maintenance folks. And so what we've tried to do is say, there's so many ways in, and you don't have to have the technical backpacking leadership skills necessarily to get your foot in the door and you can develop them when you're here. So professional development is a, you know, it's a, it's a benefit that we offer folks. Um, We provide a lot of training and, you know, one of the big things we do is we, every year in people's review, it's like, okay, what do you want to, what do you want to do next? How can we help you get there? Like we want to make sure that people see this as a career. And I think the other thing we've been fortunate enough to do is that we pay well, that's been a huge issue of access is that the pay was so low in our industry and certain people could afford to take those really low pays. And that was certainly perpetuating a certain, you know, middle to upper middle class, typically white person in this who had support from their family and could take these roles. And so we've tried to say, if we're genuinely looking to a more diverse population, then we're going to have to pay like better than a living wage, but like a good wage. And so that's been a thing that we've been invested in a lot, like 401k, health insurance, that kind of thing. And it's, it's been interesting as we've applied for grants because our payroll and our employees are our largest expense and foundations want to see that your money is going to your operating and your programming stuff. And they don't want to see it going to staff. And we've made a decision to say like, we're not going to try to hide this in some other budget where we're actively saying like, we are choosing to spend our money on our staff because we're choosing to grow careers for queer and trans people. And there's so few opportunities. And it's been cool to see foundations be like, Oh, that's, that's actually cool. Okay. We can get behind that. We have also had to be much more creative about where we're advertising and who we're interviewing and how we're trying to make sure that people are finding out about these positions uh, versus just in the traditional channels, because then it's just speaking to the same people over and over. We've done a lot of workshops with colleges. And so I think people find out about us through that. And then we've certainly, it's actually cool. Some of our instructors have come from the students who were in the workshops and at their own college outing clubs. So for sure, that's been great. And then word of mouth. I mean, I think that's the queer community is a small, tight community and those who are outdoors are even smaller and tighter. And so I think it's been really important to me that we do everything really, really well, because I think you make one mistake and it's kind of unforgiven. Um, and it, you know, word travels really quickly versus consistently doing the right thing, showing up, treating people well, that goes really far. Let's talk about something maybe specific to you and your learning through the process. I think you've been the Venture Out Project nine years, is that correct? Nine years, yeah. In that time, you had this foresight with starting it. You had your own personal story that led towards the creation of it. Has a belief been confirmed and then also a, a belief that you had at the start that maybe has been challenged or altered over the nine years. So belief that's been confirmed is that absolutely this was so, so needed. I thought we'd work ourselves out of a job pretty quickly. You know, people would be like, oh, this is cool, but I don't need it anymore. And I think 
that feeds into the belief that was disavowed, which was that I really thought people would come, learn the skills, and then go off and do it on their own. And what we found was over 50% of our participants were repeats. And I asked one day, I said, this this guy had done, he'd done the Leadville 100 bike ride. He did everything on his own. And I was like, you don't, why are you coming back? I love that you are, but you don't need us. He was like, you're missing the whole point. He said, I come back here for the community. He said, I can do any of this stuff on my own. I can't create this community on my own. And that is the magic uh, that Venture Out has given. And that was a real aha moment for me of like, oh, I thought we were leading outdoor adventures. And we are. But really what we're doing is building community. This is one of my favorite stories ever. So this was, we ran a ski trip. This is probably five or six years ago. And it was all trans men. And we just skied. And we hung out at night. And we like went in the hot tub and drank some beers. And these were all adults. And it was just like the conversation just flowed. There wasn't a ton of really facilitated activity happening. I got a call from a guy who'd been on the trip like maybe a month later. And he said, Perry, that that was the most profound experience of my life. He said, you know, I transitioned. I took the first year off of college, transitioned and went to college. And he said, three people in the world know that I'm trans. Um, And he said, and I was really ashamed of it and thought it was something I had to hide. And he said, and I went on that trip and I saw nine other trans men all proud of who they are. And he said, and I saw nine different versions of what it meant to be a man or what it meant to be a trans man. And he said, and all of a sudden I could, I could imagine that. He said, I could see something that I'd never been able to see before. And he said, so I came home and I had a gender reveal party for myself. He said, there's there's a t-shirt. It says, this is what trans looks like. And he said, I had a flannel on and towards the end of the party, I ripped off my flannel. And he said, and came out to my friends and, and I said, how'd it go? He said, they gave me big hugs and told me they loved me. He said it was like, he said, I, I had no idea how much I was holding by not sharing that with people and and seeing that these nine other guys who could be out and open and still be loved and still be happy and have families and jobs. He said, I, it just, it opened up a whole new possibility of what life could be like for me. And I still get chills when I think about that story. And I think to me, that's that's an example of the value of the community. You know, if he... If he hadn't had the courage to come on the trip, he never would have met us. Um, and he wouldn't have had, and now he's got all these friends and resources and like this life that he, he wouldn't have had um, without that experience. I mean, I think the thing that I have found most helpful, both in starting Venture Out and also I think in being a facilitator is be so open to where the moment takes you. Um, I think this podcast is a great example of that. It's like, to your point, like we don't exactly know what we're we of course we have a goal like we don't we don't come into this like i don't know we'll just spend an hour and see what the heck happens we have a goal but i think when we rigidly stick to the path we think it's going to take to get to that goal that's when we can miss some of those gems and some of those magic moments and so i think the times when i've had those magic moments are when i've been like i had this whole plan and i saw this magical thing happening and i scrapped the plan and I went with the magic. Um, and so I think, yeah, don't be afraid to go with the magic. 
Thank you so much, uh, Perry. I'm going to link, just so everyone knows, I'll link everything in terms of connecting with Perry and learning more about the Venture Out Project in the description of this episode. Thank you, Perry, for being not only a resource for your community, but a resource for the larger community and also for being an educator and a facilitator. And I know there's imposter syndrome there, but from every experience I have, you're a phenomenal one. So thank you for the work that you do with that. Thanks so much, Phil. This is great. Really fun. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs>